Okay, special episode today. Joining us for the second time is Heidi and Ish. You might remember them from last series, which was over two years ago, which is crazy to think about. They're back again. A lot's happened since then. They've launched uh, a new app, um, spoken at conferences. Um, so it's great to great to have you guys back and just to catch up. It's been, it's been a long time, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I guess this is another um, feat of time zone engineering as well. I mean, I think I've got off lightly, personally. I mean, what is it, midday here now in the UK? <laughs> so I'm just like casually, I've had a nice easy morning, uh, <laughs> tottered around the house. Um, well, it must be, what, 4 a.m. for you-ish? Yeah, until after 4 a.m. Oh my goodness. Right nearly. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. are, are you still doing the whole crazy getting up early thing? Is this like normal for you still? Because I remember last time it was quite normal to see you online. Yeah, it's not too far off. I usually get up around 3 a.m. So yeah, this is fine. That's um, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, do you have to go to bed like super early still? Uh, I don't think it's super early, but maybe just because I'm old. I go to bed around like 9 or 10 p.m. So you're living off like five hours sleep. Yeah, which is actually an increase. I used to do four, but um, that's not working anymore. So I had a bump into five, sometimes six, but yeah. That's impressive. What are we looking at in Australia, Heidi? What time are you at? Uh, it's about 8.30 p.m. Um, or 8.38 now since we started recording. <laughs> and, uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. Dave, you're up late. What was it, 11 p.m.? Yeah, so it's 11.08 here uh, wow. for me. Yeah. I was... Um, I was saying to Heather, my wife, before we started calling, actually, that just the fact that we're able to do this still kind of blows my mind. Like, if you were to imagine the globe and draw little lines between us all, right? just like the underlying technology that goes on to make that happen for free as well. Um, it's it, Yeah. I think that's like Skype, especially, has gotten quite a hard time in the in the tech sphere lately. It seems like the narrative is, oh, the app's getting worse and worse. Every time they touch it, they make it worse. But actually, peel back the app layer and actually underneath it is quite incredible. I still find it quite hard to believe. It really is. Yeah, real-time communication across the world. It's, um, yeah, kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, where should we start? I guess probably we should at least acknowledge there's been an Apple event last week. (laughs) It seemed wrong to to gloss over that. (laughs) Yeah. Are you guys getting any new toys? I want to get an Apple Watch Watch. Series 5. Wow, okay. I just joined the Apple Upgrade Program. Oh, okay. And we were talking about time zones. I was kind of thinking about that, right? So um, this year was the first year that they switched the time for the pre-orders. So the pre-orders started at 5 a.m. Pacific, which was so interesting because I'm used to just like, it's always become like a ritual waiting up for the uh, for the launch at midnight uh, Pacific time. But that time shift, um, I think it probably made it a lot more convenient for some other folks around the world. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess the East Coasters, what what time would that be? Um, that'd be more like 8 a.m.? Yeah, it's 8 a.m. East Coast. And um, I guess for your time, it'd be around midday still, right? Around like 1 p.m. And then yeah. uh, for Heidi, it'd be like 9 p.m. And for Dave, it'd be a little late. It'd be back to midnight, right? Yeah, it's about midnight, I think, on my side. So I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. So you're on the upgrade program for the for like your older phone before these iPhone 11s came out or are you just joining the program now i am just joining now this is my first time joining so oh cool decided to to start that up yeah so what, what have you got on the way so i have a um 11 pro in uh, in space gray cool yeah. cool i see the uh is it the midnight green that seems to be really popular more popular than i anticipated i think yeah when i see that color i'm like nope not for me but people seem to be really excited about it so 
Cool. It kind of reminds me of like a, a military green. I, I mean, I haven't seen one in person, but it kind of, you know, like you get like a box of ammo or something like that in the military. It, it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, it seems kind of like the color of those little um, green army men he's played with as a kid or the ones that are in Toy Story. Like very... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that color, which has never been one of my favorite colors. Um, but... Yeah, people seem excited, so I'm happy for them. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of hoping for like a, maybe like a midnight blue, like a midnight blue. I've been like, yeah, I'll jump over. Or uh, wasn't that rumored? It had been rumored for a while, and then even the um, if the product red color was in the pro, I'd be all over that. But nope. So space gray it is. <laughs> and I considered. So I've had an iPhone 10 for the last two years. Last year was the very first year that I skipped the phone. So I've had every one, except for the 5C. I've had every single phone like up up until the uh up until last year. And I skipped last year. And so I've had like the 5.8 inch for a few years. And I was really debating going back to the larger phone size. Um but then I thought about it and I don't want to like retrain my muscle memory to do that little peaky shuffle thing to like get to the top of the screen. Um so I just stuck with the uh with the smaller form factor. Yeah, I think it's a nice balance, the uh, the 5.8. I've got the 10 myself, and coming from a 6, it didn't feel that much different. It's almost just like the, the chin and the forehead became screen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. It's funny, I think I was saying on our last episode to, to Dave that I've always kind of really wanted the Plus or the Max, but just circumstances always kind of meant that I haven't got it. With the 6, I kind of got scared off with the, uh, was it a 1080p panel they put in the Plus model? And then it was kind of rendering at 3x off screen, and then it got scaled to the the 1080p panel. That for some reason just yeah. really put me off. Um, I still kind of regret yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then when it came time to get the 10, there just wasn't a the max wasn't a thing. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think I would be sorely, sorely tempted to go for a max. Although part of me does think, would I regret it? Because there's nothing wrong with the the 5.8. I, I enjoy it. it. Feels it feels right. But at the same time, it's like, well, if I'm going to change my phone, maybe I should. You really, really change it up, but I don't know if I'd actually have the courage to do it. <laughs> what I realize is I really only want the larger screen when I'm watching video and landscape. Like at oh, that okay. moment, I'm like, I wish this was larger, but mm-hmm. every other time I'm totally fine with the smaller screen. And now that they have feature parity, because back then with the six success um, and seven, the, the larger phone had a better camera. So, um, Last year, they changed that, and there's feature parity now. So there's really no advantage in a larger phone besides being yeah. larger. Maybe a little bit better battery life, but um, yeah. Yeah, because I seem to remember, like, it was the um, was it the 7 Plus mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. dual cameras. I'm not sure if I'm re- remembering that right. I think that was probably, like, the, the differentiator. You know, you didn't get right. that unless you had the Plus. Because I, I was kind of tempted at that point. The uh, the seven plus had the dual cameras, and then before that, um, the six and six plus had optical image stabilization for yes. the plus phones. These things we now take for granted. Oh, I tell you something. I've been testing. Um, I've been testing using an iPhone ten in the office this week. Um, just testing some apps out um, with with the iOS thirteen uh, beta. Um, and mm-hmm. I've also then got my um, my 10R on the desk as well. And switching between the two, I've kind of been able to have a sort of a feel of like, okay, what would it kind of feel like to kind of go down a size, essentially, to sort of have the 10 size, um, just in terms of how it sort of feels. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of funny because actually I prefer the 10 
I, I like my 10R, um, but yeah, the, the size of the 10 is actually the much better fit for me. Yeah, um, it's kind of convenient, right? Yeah. What What are you, Heidi, what are you using? You're on, you're on the Max, aren't you? Yeah, I have a 10S Max. I was I was actually thinking of upgrading to a 11 Pro Max. <laughs> I, before this one, I had the 6 Max. So you've Hang been plus. six plus. <laughs> <laughs> so you've always had the bigger phones then. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, my very first phone was an iPhone 4s. Um, that was a much smaller phone, and when I like actually like held that in my hand compared to the to the bigger phone, I'm like, this is tiny, and I didn't, mm. I couldn't see myself going back to a smaller phone again. I really like the larger size, but. Since my phone is still really good quality, still really fast, um, still really beautiful and shiny, <laughs> like maybe I don't need to upgrade this year. Um, the uh, videos from Apple always make me want to get one. They're always like very compelling, and the new photography features look really great. And having having three lenses um but yeah i think i can hold on to what i have for a bit longer maybe save some more money over the year yeah i don't know whether it's because i've kind of i used to basically have my upgrades were, were tied directly to my carrier so every two years i would get the the letter in the post saying good news your phone contract's up time to upgrade and that would always be around october november time which conveniently was when the new iPhones had just come out and were coming into, you know, good supply because normally sort of September you can never get your hands on one. Um, so I just used to do that every two years, whatever the new thing was I, I would get. And then with my 10, um, I sort of came off of that, that train and just bought, bought the 10 outright. And I still, mm. I still feel like my wallet still aches from paying out all of that money. For the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I feel even less inclined now to, um, to, up, to upgrade it. Um, because I guess I would, I would stay on that kind of. I, I would, if I was to get an 11 or an 11 Pro, I, I would probably buy it outright again. But I think it just kind of shifts your, your mentality a little bit once you come off of that. Um, it makes you really question: Do do I want to fork out all of this money right now? I think if I was on, the, on you know, if my carrier was just like, "Hey, you're due for an upgrade," I'd be like, "Yeah, sure, give me an 11 Pro instantly and pay a bit of money and, and be done with it." I don't know whether that's reflective as the industry as a whole a little bit more. Um, people keeping their phones a bit longer. Cause it used to be every two years, mine was done. No, I, I was getting the next thing, but I, mm. I kept my six longer. I, I stayed a year out of contract with my six, so that went for three years. So it stands to reason my ten could probably go a little bit longer than that. Um, although I, I think probably by next year I'll be getting the I'll be getting the itch to get something new. Yeah, I think all things being even, people are keeping their phones longer because the OS is supporting older models. That's kind of been the driver. Like if the new operating system doesn't support the phone people are dropping it. Like if you can't have the new emoji, it's time to get a new phone. But <laughs> recently that's been, um, that's been going on for much longer. And very recently because of the six getting a refresh with the battery, like a lot of people have sixes that normally would have updated already just because yeah. they have like a kind of like a fresh battery. So that's going to be interesting in the future, but it's also interesting that Apple is doing phones as a service. So the Apple Upgrade program allows folks to get um, a pretty expensive phone for not that much money a month because they're like breaking up the payments and doing uh, the same with Apple Care, which is pretty expensive now. Apple Care is um, is way up there, um, and then now bundling in uh, Apple TV Plus in certain regions, um, it's become like a more compelling thing to kind of 
just get on that uh, upgrade program and just get the new phone. Because at the end of that cycle, at the end of the year, you kind of kind of get the same, you get a new phone for the same price you're paying anyway. So do you have to give the old phone back? Yeah, it's like basically like a phone lease. So you lease the phone for a year. At the end of the year, you give them the old phone, they give you the new phone, and just keep on paying. Is, is there any kind of like if it's you know if it's got dinged up a little bit? Is there any sort of repercussions there? With well, there's two Apple Care is bundled in, so you get two um, incidents of damage. So if it is dinged up, then maybe that'd go against one of those. But by that time, it won't matter anymore. Huh? Okay, that's interesting. So yeah, you could literally have like a cracked screen and be like, "Here, here's your phone." As long <laughs> as you haven't used those two um, incidents and. You're good to go. That sounds like a good deal. See? It sounds See? like it would save you from trying to find a buyer to sell it for and to calculate how much money you can get back for it as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. A, yeah. Also, there's a little bit of priority given to um, customers who are in the Apple Upgrade program. So if you want to get your phone, I just want your phone like launch day. That's one of the best ways to do it because you basically kind of pre-configure the phone you want. And then when it's time, you can even now set up a serious shortcut. Like, hey, Siri, pre-order my phone. It takes you right to the page, and you just click basically buy, and then you're good to go. You've been pre-approved for the loan. You have your, your your color, your size, everything all set, and you just, like, tap the button, and that's it. So are you set to get one on launch day, then, as it stands at the moment? I am. I'm picking mine up from my local Apple store. Well, should we uh, move it on a little bit and talk about Capsicum? Sure. Sure. It was interesting, actually, following along, because what was it? This Christmas just gone, wasn't it? You launched it. Oh, yeah, right after, like the 28th of December. 28th. So right before New Year's. Mm-hmm. Right. Was there um, was there a method there? Personally, for me, I'm thinking well, I wouldn't have released an app sort of then because I'm like busy with Christmas and you know, I'd be distracted. But was there, was there like a bit of method behind doing it on that day? There was a little bit. The first was being over a year late in launching. The second <laughs> was um, New Year's resolutions. It's a great time for people to get into kind of productivity. So the target we want to hit is kind of like the new year, new you feature, because at that point in time, folks um, are kind of looking for ways of organizing their lives. And a daily planner is like kind of right in line with that. Yes. So we were working quite through the holiday period to try and get it out by the 28th. Like we definitely wanted to get it out before the new year. So we did have to maybe give up a little bit of our time we would have spent out Christmas shopping or celebrating to get our to get our work out. But um we were really glad we were able to make that date. And I suppose the work doesn't necessarily end on the twenty eighth either in a way. It's kind of the beginning in, in some ways. That's right. There's so much work to do, um Dornish. For sure. Um another thing is what we did because the the app store has a holiday shutdown uh right before that. So what we did was we had a like a one point zero zero that was unreleased, just approved, making sure we could get through the App Store before the shutdown, mm-hmm. making sure that we'll, there weren't any surprise like rejections. And then what we did over the break, um, worked on some tweaks and modifications to kind of polish it up a bit. So then when the store reopened, we had an update ready, and then we could launch. So I'm guessing when you release an app, obviously you want to try and get press for it. What Were the, were the press kind of sort of working and alert on the 28th, or were they on like a, a, a break or anything? That's the thing that... Um, I learned about that time period. It's not particularly ideal to launch because a lot of the press are on holiday. <laughs> so um, we kind of st- 
alerted them for a while, like, hey, it's coming, it's coming, and then more so, hey, it's coming towards the end of the year. But we didn't have the um, the the launch date. We're just kind of hoping, like, for before the first of the year, but we didn't have an exact time that we told them, like, it'll be this date. Because, again, that's kind of dependent on the... Um, on app review and the the holiday break ending and we don't know that until um into december already you got some pretty awesome press coverage you know even so at at that point Uh, did that all come from just sort of that kind of sending lots of emails and just keeping in touch with them or you know did it kind of come from from any other sort of contacts or or means um kind of keeping in in touch but it was like a really long process so i we first started talking about capsicum publicly uh almost two years before it was launched and then we did some beta invites and then we kind of kept kind of like teasing and and talking and such so by the time it actually um we were actually ready to release it wasn't the first time they'd heard about this product coming so then it kind of took off from there and then there's um what i've learned is sometimes there's like a a, like a chain reaction when there's a big release from one publication other publications will kind of pick up on it and it'll actually kind of like circle around the globe which is cool yeah i I saw something similar actually with the with my app air synth although i think probably on a on a smaller kind of scale That, that kind of cascade as it sort of flows through all the other news sites yeah it's kind of exciting to watch yeah, um, so Ish really built a relationship too with lots of people who work in the industry, like kept in touch with them and talked to them about our product. And then like I also emailed people before before we launched to let them know that it was coming out. And like I, I attached some images to the email and did a press kit as well. Um, and I didn't have any idea that people were definitely going to write about it before we launched. Like, I just I sent a follow up the the day we launched. Like, the app is out on the store now, and we were like pretty surprised on our launch day to like have major articles in TechCrunch and um, Nine to Five Mac. And later we got a few others. We got CNET. Um, they have a download blog where they write about apps. That was that was pretty exciting. Uh, one of the interesting things about that, like Heidi said, uh, the morning of the launch, we had zero replies back as far as yeah, we're, we'll be writing about Capsicum. I was just like holding my breath, like, well, I hope someone says something, and then it started <laughs> to flow in, which was uh, really cool. It was a nice surprise. Did you um, did you plan a kind of marketing approach? sort of ahead of time you know i mean obviously you were, you were keeping in touch with people and all of that sort mm-hmm. of thing but was there kind of a general sort of uh, from the sounds of it you did have that plan you had a sort of kind of idea that you were going to launch at the time that you did you'd, you'd warmed everywhere up in terms of keeping in touch ahead of time as well um, but were there any other sort of things that you did you know to kind of plan towards those dates and, and sort of set everything in motion I had a really super long range plan, but um, I had never tried it before because it's super long range, right? And basically what that is, is honestly um, being authentic, but building community. And that way, when you have a launch for something, there's an engaged audience. It's genuine concern or general interest, rather, on what you're building. So you say, hey, I'm building something. Like, oh, well, what's this building? And that thing kind of... Um, 
helps with like word of mouth. Also, something I learned um, a few years ago was if you um, have folks who are in the beta and they enjoy the product and you tell them when you're launching, you ask them to kind of tweet about it on the day it's launching. Hey, we're launching at around like 10 a.m. on the state. If you could, just tweet about it. And you ask a few different folks to do that. And then what happens is multiple people start seeing it from, like the first time they see it, it's like, ah, there's a thing. The second time, like, oh, there's that thing again. By the fourth or fifth time, they're like, okay, I need to check this out because everyone's talking about it. So it kind of <laughs> builds over time. How did you um, How did you go about getting your, your, your beta testers on board? Was it just sort of Twitter and word of mouth? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah, we invited some people manually. Um, we got their email address and put it in test flight. And later we did open up a link where people could join. But a whole lot of it was manual, actually. And to start with, our website, basically, we had a MailChimp form on there that would that people could put in their email to opt into joining the beta and hearing any news about when it was coming out and then we put those emails into test flight i feel like we got like over a thousand people that way or something a thousand people um, yeah wow yeah. that's really mm-hmm. good that's incredible <laughs> it yeah, was a you? really big beta test right yeah i it was far more successful than um prior things we we tried with uh with testing because sometimes it's really hard to get testers right yeah but yeah we got like well over a thousand and i was like whoa we might have something here. It's kind of cool. I saw you did a Medium post at one point. Was did you, did you get much off the back of that? Um, that helped kind of kind of push it along. So yeah, we were doing like several things. We're doing things on Twitter occasionally. Um, we bring it up in a podcast, or yeah, even like the yeah. the Medium post yeah, about it. Post. Yeah, just saying, hey, it's it's coming. And then later on, we did a um, like the proper launch. Like, hey. It's here. Our journey's beginning. So come join us. I think it was Medium how I um, came across it. I think you did a post called something like, was it Beta Late Than Never or something like that? Yep. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, that, that <laughs> and was that what was... I saw that got me to sign off, I think. <laughs> right. And that was the um, that was the official launch of our, our beta. So we've been testing internally for a while and going through a bunch of different iterations and things like that. And uh, we finally want to get like some... Uh, some beta feedback and just kind of see what what the community thought about what we were doing. And we got lots of really great feedback and some things we went back to the drawing board for. So um, we kind of went dark on that uh, that beta for a while. We did like some, some heavy lifting and changes and then um, relaunched the beta again and then um, got some more like really good like positive feedback that we're heading in the right direction. Did you uh, do anything in particular to, to sort of celebrate the successful launch you know i mean obviously you're you're not co-located or anything but but did you both sort of respectively you know go out and uh, kind of have some drinks or something like that or Here's some grilled capsicum um <laughs> Here's some capsicum on the barbie <laughs> just kidding <laughs> no i think i think it's important to celebrate these things so you know i feel like we celebrated a lot like talking to one another about it um we often have a call on on facetime audio where we we talk about work and we just like really reveled in like all the twitter um all the twitter engagement we got like people congratulating us and supporting us and saying they were downloading it and we were like 
we were like watching um, graphs going up, downloads, and it was all very, very exciting. Um, I was there was a lot of like not getting much sleep because I was so excited about what was going on. Like, yeah, yeah. I um I actually have trouble celebrating. Um, so I was focused on okay, that went really well. What's next? What do we do next? How do we keep the momentum going? Um, but I do think that celebrating is important. I just usually um forget to do it so next time i see heidi in person i owe her a drink (laughs) (laughs) i guess so with with all 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 of the positives there are sometimes some negatives when you launch an app like when anyone launches an app there's always someone that will leave you a bad review or something will come up did is there anything you know in there that you can talk about i mean how how do you handle that kind of thing because i know me personally I, i had a few of those um with my last app in the store and it, it completely crushed me um, and I didn't react to it well. Uh, I need to get better at that. <laughs> so I just wondering if you've got any kind of, any thoughts on how you handle it. That's one of the downsides of visibility, right? So if we have a really big launch, then the positives are really, really great. But then the negatives are also larger and more visible. So there were a few things that happened. One is we used a unique method of subscription. So... Apple has a uh, method of doing free trials, which basically you click the free trial button, and as long as you remember to cancel before the free trial ends, then you're not charged. But if you do forget, then you're locked in for at least one period of of the uh, subscription. What I did was I created a unique one. So basically we give a 14-day free trial, but those days don't have to be consecutive. It's any 14 days. And at the end of that, it basically goes from being full featured to read only. Um, that way you don't accidentally subscribe. You only subscribe if you intend to. And that caused a couple of issues. One is it was confusing for folks, even though it's kind of like um, we said what was going on. They're just kind of like a like muscle memory with how subscriptions work. So some folks immediately fo- felt they're being scammed. Without even using the app, they're like, what? A subscription? No way. And then we got like a bunch of one-star reviews from folks who didn't get past that first screen of like, um, it's a subscription. Then there was a subscriptions bug that worked completely fine in beta testing in the sandbox, but in the actual store um, was rejecting subscription. So I think we're about the first day. 5,000 attempts at subscription with five successes. Ooh. Ooh. Which was painful. Yeah. See, grown. Yeah. It's, uh, so, yep. There was that. Luckily, the App Store review time it improved quite a bit. So we were able to um, get a bug fix out. How did you recover from that? Um, I'm still recovering. <laughs> um,. <laughs> we fixed the bug but that initial like oh my god what is happening um yeah that that was a that was a big um that was a big hurdle so that was in like end of december and january this year and that was quite difficult um to cope with like i i felt like personally upset that People thought we were scamming them or um, they were having trouble with it and getting angry at us. And, um, yeah, I had to take a bit of a step back and realize that uh, we were doing the best we could to work around the clock to fix it. 
what age was walking around the clock to fix it. <laughs> um, um, I was early on. I was involved in like helping answer the support and replying to reviews and everything. But later, Ish largely took over that role. Um, so um, that makes it a little bit easier. Like like when you work in a team to have some like to have support from one another and one person can handle those requests who maybe <laughs> is a little bit stronger in like not taking it personally and being able to cope with like the negativity and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard. It is really hard not to take it personally. I, yeah. I always do though. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it, it is because some, honestly, some of it became kind of became personal. And I was like, Whoa, Hey, I'm a human. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> and honestly, I have the, feelings. The, I have feelings. The app was free. If it's not for you, that's okay. Um, but the thing is, you can never really satisfy everyone, which is fine. I'm not really, we're not really trying to satisfy everyone with Capsicum. It has a particular audience, and I think that audience will be really excited. Other folks not. Some people absolutely love the design. Other people were like, "This feels a bit skeuomorphic." Ew, why why are there like shadows and elements and things like that? Like, okay. <laughs> Perhaps just not 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 for you. And those tastes kind of evolve too, right? Um for example, um some people who absolutely hate skeuomorphism now, when uh iOS four and five were out, were in love with it. And now that we're actually tending we're trending back towards that direction a bit. If you look since iOS seven, things have um, kind of gotten a little bit heavier weight and there's been more, not quite the same level of skeuomorphism, but um, definitely closer to that direction. Now, like in iOS 13, buttons are buttons again. Being that, like borders, you can tell the difference between a button and a label. So, yeah, I just, part of it's understanding that people have uh, different tastes. And um, even with that, though, some of it, it just stings. You're like, ouch, that's... That's awfully, awfully personal. Someone, like, one of, the, one of the rudest comments, they're like, this doesn't seem complete. Did you not have enough money to finish it? And I was like, whoa. Wow. What, what I have I done I to you? you. Yeah. I, I find that, um, like, customers can kind of fall in two camps. Like, some people are really helpful when they write in with their feedback. They're like, oh, I was doing this and I couldn't do this. Am I doing anything wrong? Generally being kind and nice about it and and seeking out help. And then there's others who are, like, super angry and, like, like insulting you and saying, I want to cancel this now and I want my money back now. And Pretty yeah. horrible things. Someone wrote, like, a page and a half about I've deleted the app after not even trying it. And um, yeah, I'll never use it again. Okay. But you didn't try it. So why did you write so much? Like, I don't understand. Like what's the next step? You're never going to try it again. What, what, what do we do? So it's interesting though, for the most part, some of the most angry ones were about the subscription and why, why we had a subscription. Um, so then I spent a lot of time explaining the reason for subscription is because the app costs money to maintain, it costs money to update, and we don't want to have to sunset it. So over time, if the app is useful to you, we give you a while to figure that out. Like, I think if you use an app for 14 different days, 
then it's probably of some use to you. Um, and if you agree that that's the case, you know, help us out by kind of supporting the app. Some of our services um, actually have recurring costs, like the hosting of it. Um, we're using uh, Firebase for some of the, the data storage. And we have a weather API to show the weather daily. So some of those things um, have recurring costs. So in order to, to maintain it over time, we really can't charge you up front. Um, really don't want to show you ads. So the only really feasible way of doing this is a uh, subscription. So if you find it useful, uh, we appreciate it. And if not, that's okay too. Have um, have things kind of leveled off now in terms of that that sort of um, initial feedback? And I'm, I mean, obviously you've fixed um, some of those initial uh, bugs and teething issues. So have things kind of sort of reached the stable phase right. now? They have in, in a few ways. One reason is the app's been out for a while now. Um, so we're close to what? Uh, like nine months that it's been out, nine, ten months. Um, so it's a little bit more established now, so folks don't think we're immediately scamming them. The other one is um, subscriptions are just growing, just kind of like culturally. There's subscriptions for so many things now that um, it's less surprising. And I think there's still folks who are like, subscription, no way, but they've already got their anger out. Um, they've already expressed that, so they don't continue to express it month after month. It's just kind of like either it's something that they're willing to to try out and do, or it's just not for them, and that's okay. So are there any new features um, for Capsicum that iOS 13 is, is going to enable? So I spent way too much time this summer um, wrestling with SwiftUI. So my features aren't done yet uh so they won't be out for launch but one of the things i'm most excited about is pencil kit for the ipad so now um folks will be able to uh along with doing like notes and to do's be able to do like their own like handwritten notes or sketches or doodles or whatnot and i'm very excited about that something i've wanted from the very beginning um, but I didn't want to write my own like rendering engine for the pencil because I was absolutely sure that Apple would come out with one and then I'd have to like rip out all my code and then make the old code come out with the new code and, and all that. So I'm glad that we waited. And uh, other than that, there will be just some um, enhancements with, um, with some other things, a uh, little bit of a, a UI refresh. And kind of as the year goes on, we're looking to... Um, add things like photo modules and things like that to kind of give it um, a few more features. That's awesome. I'm really pleased to sort of hear about the pencil side of stuff. Uh, I I love my pencil with my iPad. Yeah. And I'm currently working on uh, making a dark mode version of our different themes. We have about eight different color themes in the app. And so that requires quite a bit of... um, thinking and playing around and adjusting to get dark mode to work with all our different colors. Um, luckily, I already like have created swatches in the past of our colors that I like mix them with white and black. So I have tints and shades. So I'm already able to choose from what I have to see what works the best. So I'm like using some of Apple's uh, system colors that they have, like their system background like we have a, a white background in our light mode and then that will change to black in dark mode 
but um, I'm having to choose like what areas will be like secondary background and what areas will be a custom color and change some icons and symbols and also images and buttons and things to all work with. Yes, it's, it's a, a much bigger deal, I think, than people realize mm-hmm. sometimes is to have a good dark mode. You've got to um, consider like redesigning the entire app. It's not just sort of turn it on and, and off it goes. You've, you've got to make it work. It is. And what some, what some folks didn't realize, and I actually didn't realize, was that, for instance, with Apple system colors, there are yep. four variants for each color. Right? So there's a light and a dark which you expect, but then there's also a um, normal and high contrast version for each two. Yeah. So for each color, there's four. Um, so if you had something that had like 20 custom colors, suddenly you might be looking at 80 colors. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, thanks, Ish, for all this extra work. <laughs> well, thanks, Apple, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth it in the end yeah it will look good Um, coming towards the uh, development side of things ish is there a uh, a sort of specific Mm -hmm. approach that you've used kind of under the hood I'm thinking about things like um, the the sort of general architecture of the app and um, things like uh, the internal database you've mentioned Firebase before but I'm kind of curious you know, like what, what major technologies mm-hmm. are you using and, and what sort of general approach have you taken? I'm really always trying to um, do the best job I can do for future me. So I want to do whatever um, architecture or um, framework um, that'll make future development easier. So initially, when we first launched, I was using uh, Realm for local cache and Firebase for the the, the cloud bit. And Firebase is really really good, um, and I was hoping to use like CloudKit, but Firebase just just so much better. So something we end up doing is we have encryption. So I Firebase claims to be encrypted. I believe them, but by default, you can, as a developer, see the data in Firebase in plain text, so not encrypted enough. Um, so what we do is we encrypt data locally before sending it to Firebase. So then when I look in Firebase, all I see is I can encrypt a string that I don't have a key for, and um, and that works there. Awesome. For local caching this year, um, one thing they did was moved from Realm back to Core Data. Core Data has had a lot of improvements lately, and um, I'm, I have a kind of like an eye on um, that integration with CloudKit. I'm not jumping into it immediately because I have some experience with Core Data on iCloud, which was tragic, and um, I'm still a bit sore about. But the CloudKit piece now does look compelling, and after a few years, um, we may switch from Firebase to awesome uh, CloudKit. How do you handle the, uh, I guess, the link between designer and, and developer? Do you use any tools? That I like, I'm thinking sort of like Zeppelin is one that comes to mind. Um, it's also one I've been seeing quite a lot lately, uh, Flawless. Are you, are you guys using anything of that nature to try and bridge the gap, as it were, between designer and developer? Yep, we're using Zeppelin. Um, I, use, I use Sketch to design my mock-ups in and then I export to Zeppelin and... Ish can see all the specs that are in there. 
Um, I haven't actually tried Flawless, but I believe that one can actually overlay what you have from Zeppelin or what you have from Sketch over Xcode designs or what is it called? The storyboard? Yeah, storyboard mm. maybe, and then actually compare it. Or it could yeah. even be the simulator, but I'm not sure. Yeah, the simulator is what comes to mind, I think. So you can see if what you've built mm. in the simulator is actually kind of mm-hmm. what the designer had in mind, I think. Oh, that's pretty cool. I have not looked into that. That sounds interesting. So in the background, what I've been doing is I've been encouraging Heidi to start exploring Swift a little bit. So as Swift UI matures, what we'll be able to do really is kind of kind of collaborate on a design kind of like interactively. Um, I really do look forward to that because it's cool that um, with the canvas now in Xcode 11, you can manipulate the GUI portion of it and then that GUI manipulation will be reflected directly in code because it's declarative. Yeah, SwiftUI looks cool. I've been playing with it a lot during the summer as well. Um, cursing it somewhat every time I upgraded to <laughs> mm-hmm. the newest beta and all my code mm-hmm. stops working. Yeah, and honestly, that's what happened to my summer. Like, oh, yeah, I got it working. And then go back, there's like an update. I'm like, oh, only 115 errors. So, oh. all right, back <laughs> to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been rough. <laughs> I guess it's the price you pay for living on the bleeding edge, but um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm massively excited for it as well. And I think I think what you're saying about um, the collaboration between designer and developer with Swift UI is really interesting because I think in a lot of ways, Swift UI even certain portions of it can kind of read almost a bit like CSS mm-hmm. in in the way that you can sort of style your elements. And I think that's quite an approachable way for like a designer that hasn't coded before. Um, and then also, like you say, the GUI. Um, yeah, I'm I mass- massively excited about it, um, while at the same time <laughs> constantly infuriated by it. But it's, it's, for sure, it's, it's good fun. Yeah. Something Heidi like kind of whipped me into shape about over the years is consistency and padding, and um, lay out things like uh, corner radius. So one thing SwiftUI does is makes consistency with those things very, very easy. Um, but also, it's easy to inspect, and you can see right away that it's not not correct because you can just like look at the code and look at the GUI and just kind of um, interactively kind of like change it. So it's kind of neat to be able to do that like real time. Yeah, super excited for it. Hopefully, it'll uh, hopefully it'll settle down a little bit, um, especially when the the GM of Xcode is is out. Um, it may even be out. Is it out yet? I don't think it is. It, it is. is. It is. Wow. But another one is promised. So I think there's going to be two Godmasters, which kind of sounds a little wrong. Yeah. That was a really interesting thing about this. Um, this cycle was on the keynote day, before the keynote, I wasn't really sure what version of iOS we were getting. Because during the beta cycle, we got iOS 13. And then at some point, we went to 13.1. But at that point, 13 still had bugs. Yeah. And then 13.1 just kept going, and there was no other 13 updates. I'm like, will it be 13? Will it be 13.1? I'm not sure. So it looks like we're getting two. We're getting 13, and then a couple weeks later, uh, 13.1. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's been a bit different this year. <laughs> it feels overall like the quality's been lower. I mean, I haven't I haven't ran the beaters myself, but just sort of <laughs> listening in, um, it, a lot of people don't seem as happy as they were with 12, put it that way. Yeah, I think one of the things is 12 spoiled me, right? 12 off the bat, the very first beta one was one of the most stable versions of iOS that I'd ever run, including ones that were in production. I was like, wow, this is great. 
And as we went on with 12, it was really, really good and solid. So I thought, hey, we got this. All right. Just looking for new features now to kind of layer on top of that. And um, iOS 13 has been the most beta feeling beta in probably five or six years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely felt that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny you should say that about iOS uh, 12 sort of feeling so stable in that way because um, for a little while I referred to it as iOS 11 Service Pack 2 <laughs> because it supported all of the same yeah. devices. You know, it sort of felt like it was this, this right. sort of, um, you know, not in any sort of negative way, but but it, it, in that kind of like, yeah, it's iOS 11 and it's rock solid, you know, uh, with a few more extra bits, yeah. of course, but... It was super duper good. And I understand that some of the cost of uh, innovation is a little bit less polished, but even towards the end of the beta, it seemed like there were kind of like major things being changed or undetermined um, kind of late for the, for the cycle. So maybe um, there was like too much. And honestly, there was so much in iOS 13, I didn't even get to play with it all over the summer, which I normally do. There were so many features and so many changes. Um, some of them really uh, dramatic and in- important, like the changes to table views and collection views. Um, there's a completely new way of doing the data source for those now. Yep. And um, also the layout for collection views is totally different now and uh, just leagues better. But there's so much going on um, that some of that didn't really get, get that much attention coming out of the out of the WWDC. I feel kind of funny when the, when the beaters come out and then the tech press... Well, some members of the tech press go crazy saying, "Oh, it's it's really buggy," and it, it's 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 like, "Well, yeah, it's a, it's it's a beta." Um, but mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. as, uh, as as time goes on, when it gets to a, well, this sort of time really, and there still are bugs, I guess that's it feels more justifiable right. to, be, to be a bit like, "Ooh, that's this, thing. this doesn't." And, well. and, and honestly, I guess there's some foreshadowing, right? Because when beta one came out, Apple gave a warning that they'd never given before. They said something to the effect. This is not for the faint of heart. Um, this is not for someone who just wants to have a cool new thing. Really consider what you're doing before you add this to your device. And they didn't put the. Um, it was you know, deep thrill seekers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like <laughs> caution thrill seekers. <laughs> so they didn't add the. You know, there's that profile you can add to your device to do over the air um, installations. Yeah. That wasn't available for beta one. For beta one, you'd be very intentional. You're like, you don't have to wire this device up and intentionally put this on so that you know what you're doing. Remember, we warned you. <laughs> so I think that bit of caution um, was, yeah. In hindsight, I'm like, yeah, could have probably listened to that a little bit more. And honestly, because of that warning, I, I waited until um, beta two. I'm like, all right, I'm going to let the first one slide and I'm going to go to the second one. And then uh, it was still in, 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 in that realm for me. It was a really, really shaky beta. And like I mentioned with SwiftUI, SwiftUI, I am absolutely in love with. I am like the biggest believer in SwiftUI. But it, during that process of kind of working with it through the summer, it reminded me a lot of what Swift 1.0 was like. Yes. Um, yeah. In that there would be just gigantic swinging changes of like naming and convention and like this is wow um and some parts of it um i i think with swift ui i haven't really the the underlying swift bits haven't gone through the swift evolution process yet so it's still kind of 
this is very cutting edge and almost alpha with what we're doing. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's um, um, that kind of nature um, of it's the first time it's sort of hit the community as well. So they're kind of feeding mm-hmm. that community feedback straight back into it. And, and that's some of what you see as well. I think, um, or at least I hope, you know, they're sort of acting on, on that side of stuff as well, which, which is what happened with Swift, right? Is that, that, that right. first version of Swift was, you know, what, what Apple thought it needed to be. And then it hit the community and they had feedback from that and iterated. And, you know, obviously that's then sent them in other directions than perhaps their sort of initial first draft. So, I kind of expected it was Swift UI actually to some degree. Um just just because it's so new. You're right. I expected some degree, but some of the changes, it's like so late in the beta, like changing um getting the value from a binding uh, a bindable object from being dot value to dot wrapped value. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. That seemed like something that would have happened a lot earlier in the process. Yeah. This was well. This was over halfway into the beta period, and I'm like, "Whoa!" So I got to go and change it. It's not a big change. I can do like a fine replace, but it's interesting that it's this late. That kind of lets me know that there's a lot more to come as far as like kind of evolving yeah. this. But overall, for the future, it's the thing I'm probably the most excited about because I did some experimental UI, kind of rebuilding Capsicum with Swift UI, and a lot of the more complex UI elements, I was able to just like knock out like so incredibly quickly um it was saving like 80 to 90 percent of the time in like doing the layout bit which is really really nice a gigantic time saver when it's working <laughs> <laughs> one of the other technologies um that that's sort of coming with all of this um that's sort of set to come out over the next month or so is uh, Cat- catalyst um, so that was Marzipan, yes. right? That's um, bringing UI kit um, uh, and iOS and iPad apps over to the Mac. Have you had a look at that? Which is another interesting thing, right? Because going into WWDC, Catalyst, formerly Marzipan, was like the big thing. That's the thing we're all like sure of. There will be dark mode. There will be um, this Marzipan Catalyst thing because Apple actually announced it a year prior, which they have never done before. So this year will be the year of of Catalyst. And then like two seconds after Swift UI was announced, it was basically <laughs> forgotten. Like no one, like, like well, oh yeah. And, and there's also Catalyst, which is kind of a big thing. I think it's important. Um, I looked at it a, a little bit and I decided that I'm going to give it a little bit more time to develop before porting um, Capsicum fully to the, to the Mac. It is something I'm absolutely interested in bringing it to the Mac. Um, but I'm going to wait for a few more things to be polished up before we do that. So do you think you would perhaps rebuild in Swift UI versus taking the, the catalyst sort of slash marzipan route? I've already begun rebuilding in Swift UI. So <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. I um I do wonder like I'm sort of starting work on a new app for myself at the minute and when Swift UI launched I was like, well this is obviously the direction i have to go in it just seemed like the timing was perfect i just start work and then this awesome new framework comes out so i can start on the right track and then mm. sort of mm, a few weeks in i was like am i going to be sort of cursing myself this time next year just because of like you say the way that swift ui almost feels like swift version one right I, I don't know i don't know the answer to that question yet i think sort of net it's going to be like a positive that i've 
started out with Swift UI, and I think there's going to be a load of benefits that I can that I can have. I guess the biggest one is that you know you kind of get a Mac app fairly easily out of it as well. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm just kind of kind of curious as to, as to what sort of hidden hidden cost there might be sort of 12 months down the road where it's like oh damn it maybe i should have just used ui kit or, or, or something you know right i think um about two weeks ago i hit that point and i was like damn it i should have waited and invested my time on some some of the other um, some of the other things but overall <laughs> i'm i'm glad to i'm along for the ride like without this i don't have a story to tell so um i i appreciate um kind of the conversations I've had with other developers and kind of, I feel like we're, we're kind of in this together as, as we, as we move along, but for sure, I'm sure that next year we'll look back at this time and just kind of shake our heads like what, and why, what? And then, yeah, kind of be grateful for the advances forward. Um, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm um, for, for this uh, framework. So I think that because of the community support and enthusiasm, it's going to just continue to improve over time. And in the end, I think it'll be better for everyone, both the kind of new developers just learning and for seasoned developers. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. Also, Combine is another bit too. So if you've done SwiftUI, SwiftUI is built on top of Combine. So if you've learned any of the like the Combine stuff, um, that for sure is handy in the future. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Apple have set out their stool and it's kind of like, you should really be learning this stuff if you kind of want to be in our good books in years to come and sort of not be at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense to uh, to jump on now, um, at least for me, especially with like a greenfield kind of development. Right. Um, part of me wonders whether Catalyst and, and Swift UI to an extent, because um, I think when maybe sort of wind the clock back a year, 18 months ago, when we started getting rumors of uh, Marzipan and mm-hmm. a lot of the things you heard was, oh, great now like my twitter app on my phone can just run on my mac almost like a ios simulator sized app maybe um, <laughs> right but then actually you can look at it the other way that actually well now you could put in a load of effort into your mac app and that could then potentially translate into a more powerful ios app right and then that made me start thinking well given that, that sort of the more powerful nature of those apps could find their way onto ios would that then necessitate like a, a real free trial system on ios in the app store because i look at sort of the powerful mac apps that i use that could feasibly have some or all of their functionality ported back to ios all of those apps i'm looking at now on on my dock all started life out as a as a free trial because they wanted sort of serious money and they needed to prove themselves to me first before I was going to mm, drop you mm-hmm. know, 39, 49, 59 dollars, pounds, whatever it may be. Just curious as to whether you had any thoughts on that, really, whether we might actually see real free trials, maybe maybe upgrade pricing anytime soon. And here's the thing. I think that those that's a, a fantastic way of doing it, but I'm also going to bet that those apps were not Mac App Store apps. Um, no. No, they were not. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think the actual issue with free trials is the model that Apple has put forward. So Apple basically sets the tone on what develop what tools developers have available to them with pricing. Because at the end of the day, it's Apple's store. So having trials that aren't exactly free trials, that's really an Apple decision. So Apple is the one who is doing the automatic subscription uh, at the end of the trial. So if you hit the trial button, it's free until a particular date. And if you forget, then Apple is the one that builds. 
and Apple's the one that sets policy for things like refunds. I don't know this has changed recently, but in the very recent future, there's a policy that users can't get refunds from subscription apps or any recurring purchase. You can downgrade, you can cancel, but you can't get a refund if you've already been charged. And there's been some nefarious people to really take advantage of that, um, including the free trial bit, and have monstrous uh, like revenue models, like having a free trial for three days and then $99 a week for something like a QR reader, yeah. right? Uh, with no clear way of canceling, there's no way of getting a refund. It's just like kind of like a mess. Um, I don't think that Apple intended things to get this way, but I do think it's up to Apple to solve the issue with um, with free trials. I guess what I would like to see is you know when you go into App Store Connect and you set a price, I almost would like an extra drop down that says would you like to have a free trial? Yes or no? And if you say yes, you get another drop down that says for how long? Seven days, 14 days, 28 days. Mm-hmm. And then that entire kind of thing is then managed by Apple. So that if it's a paid upfront app, say it's four ninety nine, maybe there's a, a try button next to it. Mm-hmm. And then after the amount of days that you as a developer have set in App Store Connect, then a, a, like a, a modal window pops up that's kind of from Apple. So they all look the same, sort of same kind of styling. So it's easy for users to understand and go, hey, your trial's up. If you like the app, it's three ninety nine to buy. Click here. That sounds like a great idea to me. It's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Apple should hire me. I think that would work really, really well. Um, I vote for you. So I think <laughs> that, yeah, we should do that for a paid up front app would be fantastic, right? You get to try the app for a bit and then you get like a standard um, UI from Apple expressing, hey, you, would you like to buy it now? And have that be like an automatic thing, kind of like yeah. opt in for the developer. Like, would you like us to um, kind of put this block in? And we can just be, it could be a checkbox, like yes or no. And yeah, I think that's a really like elegant way of handling it. And um, what would happen if someone selected no? Um, I guess the app would uninstall. Yeah, or you could have a more manual process, right? I do want developers to have the ability to kind of have their own ways of kind of managing that bit as an option, but by default, it'd be nice to have a way for Apple to management. This, that's for a paid up front end. Even for like a subscription app, it'd be nice if we had the option of at the end of the trial, we don't automatically bill. We just like disable features and you get a, a like a, a message, like an alert saying, Hey, the, your trial has ended. If you'd like to continue, you can buy it or, mm-hmm. or it's done. Just have it managed that way. So they're not automatically charged. That automatic charging thing, feels kind of mm. dirty to me it feels like you're relying on people um their, their memory failing like i don't want to i don't want any customers who accidentally have my app i don't want them to accidentally have paid me because that feels that feels horrible like i don't want you to accidentally give me money i want it because it's something that you enjoy and i think that's something that apple has the ability to to control mm. I agree. yeah i feel like there's an awful lot they could do in in that space i don't know whether they will though whether it's just kind of it kind of runs against their kind of core interests. Cause it seems like everything is, you know, subscription at the minute with Apple. Um, mm-hmm. I, d- I don't know. They also get 30% of every subscription, so they're making money off the current model. Yes. I don't know. I just wondered whether SwiftUI would be kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, maybe, and then maybe they, they might be kind of not forced to, but there'd be much more of a reason for them to offer such a free trial system. But, yeah, it's interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, actually... Um, 
was I finally, uh, I say finally, finally got around to watching um, App the Human Story, your movie. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I, I can't believe it took me this long. Um, it's about, it must have been like three <laughs> months ago, I um, I think I rented it on, uh, is it Vimeo it was on? No, it's on Vimeo, it's on iTunes and Amazon. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I found it to be um, kind of bittersweet in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found it quite quite sad to see kind of like the indie dream not working out for some people um yeah while, while, while at the same time reassuring that it's, it's not just me that finds it hard um so that was quite an interesting takeaway for it um but I, I noticed at the end of the movie it kind of like did that thing where it kind of summarizes where where people are at now um and i think for yourself i think it said that you went to get a job as a network engineer at a college yeah yeah is, is that is that still still the case i'm just kind of wondering where, where you're at now that is a great question. It's actually just winding down. Now, I still do need to um, have a day job. Um, pretty soon, I'm going to be switching to having a day job as a, um iOS engineer. Awesome. So that'll be interesting. It'll, it'll be my first time doing, um, doing that professionally for a company. So um, I'm a little excited honestly, because uh, it's a new experience and I really do like working with people and teams and it'll be interesting to have like kind of like a, a singular focus. In the past, it's something I wasn't very interested in because I want to make sure that I was excited and love what I'm doing. Sometimes if you're doing something for work, like this is this is your job and then you have your own thing, you get so burned out in the in the first part that you don't have time for your, for your own stuff or you just want to kind of do something different. But um, I think I'll be really excited for this opportunity and also um, so excited to do my own stuff. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I can, I can really relate to what you just said, actually. Um, I My day job used to be a, a developer, mostly in web. And I would find mm-hmm. that, you know, I'd be sort of coding eight hours a day, coming home, flip open the laptop, and I was just like, oh... <laughs> do I uh, <laughs> do I really have the energy? <laughs> like my eyes were tired, right. my head was tired, everything. I was like, oh no. Um, so it's a bit of a my, my job now is um, it's still in sort of IT. It's kind of um, I'm in like laptop repair actually. So I'm kind of like doing sort hmm. of more hardware stuff, which kind of takes me back to my okay. roots years ago when I first got into computers. Um, so still still semi relevant to computing, I guess. Um, but it's different, and it's different enough. Um, I feel fired up for like my iOS dev when I get back home, you know? Um, so yeah, I can definitely relate to, to what you're saying there about when it becomes, becomes work. Um, but I guess every, everyone's different. I think I always wondered if it would have been different if I was doing iOS for the day job, um, whether that would have actually made my own indie endeavors e- even better because all the things that you're learning, um, when you're doing it day in, day out, whereas I was doing sort of work yeah. during the day, which is kind of unrelated to iOS really. So there wasn't any, benefit to my ios right. work being a web yeah. during the day if you see what i mean i haven't quite started yet but i do anticipate that it's going to work out really really well because i'm excited about um i'm excited about that job and um i think the enthusiasm you have around what you're doing um has a really big impact on how you feel at the end of the day <laughs> and how you say that that's basically hit the nail on the head i think i was mostly over web development for like the last year or 18 months i was doing it um, so. <laughs> yeah and i guess you found the same dave haven't you because you're like ios sort of day job um, yes and i know just from talking to you, you've taken an awful lot from that that's fed back into your own projects yeah yeah and vice versa as well actually you know like things that i've worked on outside of, of the day job 
have then enabled me on projects back back at uh, the the company that I'm working for, Paperkite. Um, so yeah, I mean, like case in point with my uh, synthesizer app that I made earlier on in the year, um, AirSynth. Um, the AV Foundation stuff that I was doing inside of that has just helped me on a project that I've been doing over at Paperkite in the last couple of weeks. So this is sort of like mm-hmm. um, your tools are always kind of sharpened when when you you're in the world all the time, um, and when you're passionate about it as well, which I think is what you're you're sort of hoping to have there, ish from the sounds of it. It's passionate right. about the job, mm-hmm. passionate about the. Uh, the type of development and everything itself as well. So um, I think that can be quite a positive mix. Uh, what for Certainly sure. something I found um, for myself is that I have to be prepared to sort of pull the levers up and down a little bit on my side project stuff. You know, so sometimes if I'm, if I'm assigned to a new project or there's a lot going on in, in Paperkite, then side project stuff winds down. And then once I'm kind of feeling more like in flow and on top of things, then I can ramp that back up again. You know, it's this sort of like ebb and flow kind of thing for me. Hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, everybody's different and, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, for, for me personally, I've had to sort of like, uh, like I say, pull the lever to sort of slow down a little bit on, uh, on my outside of work projects. Um, and then sort of pull that lever to ramp them back up again when I've kind of got that headspace. That makes sense. Uh, but for the most part, it works. And the beauty of it is is that you're constantly learning and constantly immersed in the environment as well, you know, in iOS dev. Um, so, right. And, and that all kind of pays back. Um, yeah, so there's an awful lot that I've brought back from, from my sort of day job back into the side project stuff. Did you find that in getting that job, that sort of having Capsicum was like one of the main things that allowed you to, to get the position, sort of as a portfolio piece? It's interesting. I think what happened is just in building Capsicum and throughout like my, my indie career in, in building apps, it really just gave me uh, a lot of experience, like a lot of really applied experience. And I think being indie in that way and working with lots of different um, frameworks and different things, it kind of provides a unique perspective. So I have end up having actually quite a bit of expertise, um, just touching so many different things. And that isn't always the same for, uh, depending on the size of the, uh, the organization you join that maybe they just focus on the kind of like one area, but might, might not have as much knowledge about other areas of, of iOS and kind of how they work together. I will say because of that, um, I had Heidi, helped me with the design for my resume. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I saw that and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm impressive and I want to hire me. That This is <laughs> incredible. So um, <laughs> having those apps and having um, just all that beautiful design, really, I think that really helped things out. Oh, way to go, Heidi. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I kind of hope that with um, the app I'm starting working on now, that can kind of be my sort of thing that gives me credibility if i wanted to go into like a, like yourself now going into like an ios dev job um i never know hopefully that might do so well i never need to work again but i think we need to be realistic here so um, be, here's that yeah uh, yeah it would be kind of cool to have that portfolio piece um, i feel like i've learned a lot with my sort of ios dev in the last few years um so much so that like my last apps i'm not sure i'd be happy to show anyone the code really because it was kind of when i was in learning mode um whereas mm-hmm. this one i'm trying to apply what i've learned and 
you know, do it do it nicely so I could open up the the code as it were to show somebody but yeah i also think it shows in your enthusiasm and talking about your own work for example i i would imagine that if i was going from one ios job to another and i was asked a question about well tell me about your architecture it'd be very like well part of that's under nda and well i it's kind of like kind of trying to dry but when you've done it yourself and you have like your own stories about how you've gotten through it i think there's a little bit more enthusiasm behind your your answers and communication about the work you've done before because these right. are all your babies and you're like really you're proud of them so yeah that's cool i guess looking ahead um or either of you planning to go to dub dub next year i'm hoping to i i haven't been able to go the last few years i the first time i went was in 2017 and i was very blessed to have a whole lot of help from people in the community who like put money towards my flights um well, I particularly went to the Layers Conference, which I won a, a women's scholarship to attend. So my ticket for that conference was completely covered. Awesome. And yeah, the community helped me to fly over. Um, since then, I've started a savings habit so I can more easily afford the cost of flights from Australia. Um, so I really want to go. I, I would have loved to go. The previous two years as well, um, or this year and the former year. Um, yeah, so I think 2020 is looking like a good year to go. I really like the the ring of 2020. So I'm <laughs> I'm really hoping definitely I'll be going next year. I, I guess for, for you-ish, it's not too far away. Right. In fact, uh, the last couple of years, um, the last two years, <clears throat> pardon me, the last two years I've driven up. Um, which is interesting because then I can bring my 5K monitor, which is cool. So instead of just like, <laughs> so instead of just like hacking away on a laptop screen, I can just like plug it in through the like the Thunderbolt cable, and I have this like gigantic display in my room, which is both geeky and cool. And yeah, um, travel in style. I always <laughs> right. I always plan on going. I don't know if I will go to the main event, the Golden Ticket inside WWDC. That is a really cool experience. But in the past few years, um, it's been easier to get the content without being there. And now since Apple opened things up a little bit, it's easier to talk to um, some Apple engineers via Twitter sometimes, via DM. So while the labs are super useful, it's not the only way of, of communicating anymore. And I'm a really social person. And I really just love meeting all the people that I don't get to see all the time um, from Twitter. So I mostly go to be social and kind of hang out with the community. So for me, it's really the highlight of my year. It is the most important week for me for the entire year. Um, so I always find a way to kind of make it out, even if not with the main event, just kind of go to like alt comp or just hang out and have coffee with some folks. Yeah, it's, it's funny, like whenever I think of going to WWDC in years gone by, in my head it was like I would go to the conference, but I think in recent years it's almost like, well, I would just fly out there and you know find a hotel or something and just kind of go to the surrounding events, um, whether that be mm-hmm. old conf layers, even just things like the talk show live, all the stuff that Relay does, the yeah. Um, I think that to me that would like fill my time completely. Um, so yeah, and I just watch the videos when I got home. Exactly. Yeah. So I always catch the keynote, catch the State of the Union. And then there's usually one like super cool thing. I'm like, oh, I gotta like watch that one. And then outside of that, um, I'm just like hanging out and I'll catch up on the videos um, later. No, I think I'd be very much the same. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to get there um, 
at some point in the future <laughs> I've been saying that I think last time you were on the show I think I said exactly 2020 I think tw- 2020 <laughs> sounds like a presidential campaign 2020 is the year <laughs> Heidi 2020 is going to be a fantastic year mm-hmm. it's got it's got a really good <laughs> ring to it yes because there also might be a capsicum emoji coming out in 2020 Yay. Oh, yeah now we're talking it's, a, it's it's on the short list yeah I actually did the I did the um what is it called? I did the application for it or the, the proposal. emoji proposal. Like I put mm-hmm. together a report and did a little, I made a little image, which you have to make for a proposal and it was accepted as a candidate. And they said it would likely be made in 2020. That's awesome. That is so, so I'm cool. Looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and then I brought out that emoji. To the world. <laughs> oh, that's great. As we sort of start to, to kind of get to the end of the show, um, I just kind of wanted to come back to, to Capscom, actually. And yeah. where do you see the app going sort of over the next year, the next couple of years, maybe even a bit further? Um, so there's still a lot of um, functionality we want to add for users to be able to kind of customize their notebooks and make them their own doing things like health tracking, potentially, um, yeah. doing things like uh, adding photos. We mentioned some of the pencil support. Um, and then later on, coming to the Mac. So those are like the kind of like the big areas areas for us. And we're also, uh, there's still some functionality I'm still waiting for Apple to provide, which is the ability to kind of get a almost like a sandboxed window into a no, different app, kind of like the, you know, like a notification, not notification, but the today screen. You can kind of see like these little kind of views into other apps. It'd be really great if we could do something like that. And say, if you don't particularly care for our like uh, calendaring, maybe you want to use Fantastico. If you don't like our to-dos, you can use um, things. And basically at that point, then Capsicum becomes a container for all these other things in, in your life that you use. That's what I like to see. I've already started mocking up um, like a steps tracker and water tracker, like for the health things that Ish um, mentioned. So I, I would like to see that go into the app. And the app does have a lot of creativity uh, of choosing your own style, like there's tapes and covers. And I definitely would like to create a whole lot more of those like even seasonal ones like have a christmas tape so we use tape inside the app like as a it's like as a divider but like to separate content and it's reminiscent of paper planning with people's notebooks they like decorating it with tape so i would like to have even more options for that um there's there's so much like creativity and like there's so much that can be made for that yeah, when you start thinking about that and actually unpacking it in your head, that that sort of unravels, doesn't it? That could be so much stuff there. Mm. Yeah, because I think that's um, one of the first things that hit me when I opened the app was, like you say, you, you've got the covers um, and how it can almost quickly become yours as opposed to just like a, a stock app that comes off of the store. Yeah. And I think that's one of right. the things mm-hmm. that kind of makes your app shine. Um, so, yeah, the more you can sort of lean into that, the better, I would say. But I guess to... To kind of just wrap up the show, I guess, um, maybe, I don't know if each of you have got a, a thought on this, um, just to kind of reflect on some of the, the, you know, the nicest, most positive 
pieces of feedback you've had throughout the whole process um, maybe you've seen someone use your app in a way you never expected or in a place you never expected is uh, is there anything that stood out to you is there one thing that stood out over the over the course of the launch and throughout this year um i think whenever i get we get an email that when people are saying something like i have been waiting years for something like this this is exactly um what i've been looking for that feels really good because it kind of validates the direction and the idea um, that we had like years and years ago to kind of put forth the effort to, to do this. Or we get an unexpected one. It's like, yeah, I use this app every single day. Um, it's just, um, it's like heartwarming and nice to know that what we make is, is uh, useful. Yesterday-ish, I was on a podcast with John Sundell and... John really complimented the app and said that he finds the design to be really amazing and that he likes the skeuomorphic touches that we've put in and it really it, re- it really feels good when someone in the community you respect like compliments your product and they they enjoy it and believe in it as well and I also was recently interviewed on another podcast as well project update and joe simpson who interviewed me like he's really been making good use out of the app as well and he has like daily coffee thoughts that he does like we have a note section on each day and he writes he writes something down every day as he drinks his coffee and like he he's like giving us heaps of feedback about how he uses the app and things that he would like in there and it just feels really good when um people in the community like support us and enjoy what we do and want to help us make it better that's really nice to hear and i think you know you guys you deserve it you've clearly worked incredibly hard and made an incredibly good product um it's yeah it's nice to see you getting getting the praise you deserve so um yeah my hat comes off to you both <laughs> 